never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Hi guys, welcome back to my Steps of Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another fantastic day for an interview. And it's a beautiful interview that I'm looking forward to because I've got Crystal Lavender with me. Crystal is a woman who, like me, uh, tried to escape reality. Um, and we both did a pretty good job. Not just this little itty bitty, maybe six months here, maybe, I don't know, a year there. No, we went for decades. We wanted to run. And Crystal did 20 years uh, of running. And then finally, enough was enough. And she was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And nowadays she is here to share her story. And I'm incredibly grateful to her for coming to onto my show. So Crystal, welcome to my show. Thank you very much, Stefan. It's a pleasure to be here. None of us do wake up one day when we are six or eight years old and say, you know what? I really want to take drugs. Um, doesn't really work like that. How was your childhood? How was your, how, what, what was the setup that started your journey? Well, um, I was, started off pretty rough. Uh, my mother had a C-section with me and I technically killed my mom for like the first three minutes of my life. Um, my mom was technically dead for the first three minutes. And then they thought I was, I was premature. I was born four and a half weeks early. So I was in the hospital for a long time. And then when I finally got to come home, like my mom did all these tests with me. She thought I had like cognitive disorders or like, like um, hand function problems, you know, until finally one day she kept giving me these blocks and she's like, I need you to stack these blocks. I need you to stack these blocks. And finally I stacked them one on top of the other, put my hands on my hips and said there and walked out of the room. And um, she threw all the books away at that point. She was like, oh, okay, she's fine. I'm throwing these books away. But then it started in with um, with the with the childhood sexual abuse. Like I was abused before I was even making red blood cells. They thought I had leukemia by the time I was two, and I had already given my first blowjob, excuse my language, before I was even making red blood cells. So my childhood started off um, <clears throat> with a lot of a lot less boundaries than I I knew how to incorporate into my adult life. That's for sure. Um, I didn't have the ability to say no. Like, I didn't realize how the abuse as a child took away my ability to honestly say no without feeling like I was going to get beat. You know, it was like this, you know, you'd say no more of a question rather than a statement, you know, a, a, a no, you know, and then kind of wait to see what sort of repercussions. And it took me a long time to be no and just have it as more of a statement. Um, than a question. But my childhood was pretty rough. I grew up in all kinds of different places. I lived all over the place in multiple different states. I did multiple different elementary schools. And we ended up moving to um, Las Vegas, Nevada, where after my parents got divorced. And um, I turned into to hell on wheels as soon as I was a teenager, no doubt. It's your mom what was your mom's relationship with alcohol and drugs? What kind of models mom, did you have there? My parents actually didn't do, um, they weren't alcoholics. They weren't, my dad had a addiction to codeine pills at one point. Um, but other than that, like the, I didn't, I wasn't raised with, with drugs and alcohol. Uh, I was raised like my mom always made sure that my birthdays were wonderful for the most part, like between my parents, you know, we we had a pretty, I had a pretty good childhood from what I can remember from growing up with my mom and my dad. You know, there were some pretty traumatic experiences that happened around my childhood sexual abuse. You know, uh, once it came out because it was my cousins, I ended up losing my virginity to my cousin and his friend before I was even in kindergarten, and it came out that that was going on by they brought me to one of those little rooms where they have you play with the anatomically correct dolls. And <clears throat> then they took my, my, they took my dad away. They thought that there was something going on with my dad. Well, it wasn't my dad that was doing anything, you know, but they still took him away. And my mom had a complete nervous breakdown. And I remember one day I was about 
about four or five, I was learning how to whistle and I was supposed to be taking a nap and I wouldn't take a nap. And my mom just lost, like she lost control and like stabbed everything in the house, you know, and that really put a building block of like keeping my mouth shut, you know, cause once I tried to say anything about anything, then all this bad stuff started happening, you know, like all of a sudden then my dad's taken away, my mom's losing her, losing her cool, you know, um, it, it really, it really set a foundation of like, okay, just don't, don't say stuff, you know, don't, don't let them know what's going on. You know, all these bad things happen when you say these things. So I continue to keep my mouth shut about stuff for a very, very long time. Having said um, that, obviously, so someone recognized that there was something going on and did you, were you offered help? And was that help, if it was offered to you, was it helping you? The help I was offered uh, was through the state agencies. You know, they, I got put into to counseling. They, uh, they, they give me counseling, but that really didn't do much. It didn't, it didn't really stick. The, the state lost the funding for the counseling that I was supposed to be going to. My dad didn't want to have any sort of charges pressed on my, on my cousin, you know, he was underage at the time too. I mean, he was older than me. He was like 16 and I was like four, you know, so there was a lot of uh, tension between the families. It, it caused a lot of tension between my dad's side of the family and my mom's side of the family. And I believe that my mom did the best that she could with what she had available. You know, I mean, it's a lot different. Like her mom had no, like when, when it came out about my mom's sisters, there was no legal stuff that she could do about it during those times, you know, mm. she just packed her stuff and left and did the best that she could, you know, her mom's mom, there was nothing that she could do about it besides pack her stuff and leave, you know, so the times have changed a lot, but I believe my mom did the best that she could with what she, with what was available, it, but it didn't help. I still ended up being a very promiscuous, unruly um, teenager. I mean, I started doing drugs when I was 13 years old when I moved to Vegas. I mean, I was already a very unhealthy, popular little girl around the neighborhood. There were, there were things that, you know, I was doing that normal little girls weren't doing, you know, but I didn't realize that it wasn't normal until I got older. And then I saw my son, you know, my son was like nine and I was like, wow, I can't believe some of the things that I had already experienced by the time I was his age. It gave me a really good reflection of what a healthy child was supposed to look like compared to the things that I know that I had already been doing. And then I seek th uh, therapy for myself. Once I realized that, wow, like you had some serious issues, you had some serious problems with, with your childhood sexual trauma. And like, that's really what that, that boiled down to all of the things that I had done. Um, all of the, all of the horrible choices that I had made, all of the inability to say no, the promiscuity, the old, the dating older men, the, it just boiled, like it, it all tied together to the situations from when I was younger. And so I, saw, I started seeking therapy about when my son turned nine to get help for myself. Sure. But in the, in the meantime, you were in fight and flight mode. You were in, in a hell of a lot of pain. And the drugs were a way out, a way out to, to escape your reality. What did the drugs do? What drugs, what was your first drug that you had? Um, remember? Well, we had, we had just moved into a trailer park off of Washington Avenue in Las Vegas in 1994. And I remember I was so excited to finally have my own room again. You know, my 13th birthday came with a lot of new changes. I had my very own room. There was now this phone super glued to my head. And the cute older guy with his own place and own car wanted me of all people to come over. So I devised a plan to sneak out of my house. And the very first time I snuck out of my house was the very first time I'd seen it. And from the first time I'd seen it, it came in a brick. And I thought I'd found the love of my life. And we even had the same name. My name is Crystal. And oh, I always made I always made jokes about how, you know, uh, the this love of my life, we had we shared the same name. And I started doing methamphetamines when I was 13 years old with older men. Um because I was kind of groomed from my childhood to, 
oh, well, they think I'm special. You know, what, what is this older guy with his own place in his own car want this 13-year-old girl to come over for? You know, like what business did this older man have with this 13-year-old little girl? But I didn't see any problem with it then. You know, I was like, oh, wow, I feel special. I'm important. You know, that I must be doing something right because all the older kids want to hang out with me. You know, and it my my drug addiction started by hanging out with people that I, you know, I thought, were important, you know, that made me feel important that, um, that that's what they were doing. So I fell right into that boat. I was in my first drug rehabilitation center by the time I was 14 years old. And then by the time I was 15, um, I was living on the streets of Las Vegas, my mom and me and my mom and my little brother lived right next door to the stratosphere on Las Vegas Boulevard in Las Vegas, Nevada. And we had a studio bedroom apartment and me and my mom shared a bed and my little brother slept on the floor. I remember we had this hooker red shag carpet and like this neon light in the alleyway that always was on, you know, and my next door neighbors were prostitutes and she used to try to give me these belly sequin shirts, you know, and introduce me to older men. And I, I ran like I ran. I took off and was homeless by the time I was 15, six, not that I didn't have a home. Like my mom always gave me a home, but I didn't want to be there because I couldn't party there. I couldn't do drugs there. There were no cute older guys there, you know? So I, I made a lot of, I put myself in a lot of really dangerous positions and, um, just with my inability to say no, to not know how to say no. You know, I didn't know how to say no. I let a lot of things happen to me that I didn't want to let happen to me because I I figured it was just easier to let it happen than it was to try to fight it, you know, that you wouldn't get hurt. You, you wouldn't have to deal with the consequences of going to court, of doing all this stuff. You just kept your mouth shut. So I I lived like that for a long time. And then I started hitchhiking and hopping trains and I traveled with the Rainbow Family, which is like this group of, of gypsies. I traveled with a group of gypsies for years, hitchhiking and hopping trains. And for two plus decades, I was from the time I was 13 um, until I'm, I'm two years sober now of all substances. Like I, I had, been in, had been doing something to alter my mind, to escape my reality, to not face the things that I had let happen to me, to not face the, the people that I was around or, you know, um, just stuff that I was allowing. May I ask, where did the money come from? What was that? Where did the money come from to afford your, to afford your well, MF? It, it, it came from me knowing the right people, supposedly, you know, like I always just hung out with the people that had it and I didn't really have to pay so much for, it. I mean, I did steal money from my mom. I remember I stole money from my best friend. Um, I used to shoplift and there was one time that I got picked up uh, on the streets because I would get on the bus at four o'clock in the morning on Las Vegas Boulevard and there would always be people pulling over you know I was on my way to school I was at high school at that time and there'd be people that pulled over you know and I always just thought in my naive mind like wow these people are really nice you know <laughs> and one time I actually got into a car with someone and he brought me to his house and did what he did with me because once again I didn't have the ability to tell him that I wasn't a prostitute you know um and he dropped me off in front of my school and handed me $20 like I was a prostitute and bought me a pack of cigarettes and drove away. And I, I never told anyone. Hmm. I just went about my day, went to school, you know. But I didn't, I wasn't actually selling, selling my body during those times. I not, not consciously, you know, I'm, I'm sure that I was what you would call a, you know, a, a bag hoe. You know, like I would just hang out with the people, you know, as the my boyfriends would be the dealer or my best friend would be the dealer or, you know, I knew like six people that actually made it. So finding it and getting it wasn't a problem. You know, I didn't know I didn't know at that time that I was using my body for that. It wasn't a conscious choice of like, oh, yeah, if I sleep with this guy, he's going to give me drugs. But mm. that's pretty much what I was doing. Mm. Wow. Thank you for your for your honesty, for your transparency. And it is interesting how you were able to detach yourself from all those things. 
I mean, did you find love during that time? Not anything real, that's for sure. I mean, I didn't love myself, so there's no way that I could find actual love because I Beautiful. had no idea of what loving myself even encompassed. So, Wow. Okay. I mean, my, my mother loved me. My mother never, ever, she was always, you know, um, always trying to get me to come home. I couldn't imagine being my mom like having to deal with the things that I was doing as a parent now, like it breaks my heart for her. Some of the things that like she would have to deal with, you know, I would run away for three, four months at a time. I was constantly ditching school. Like she had no idea where I was. Like I, I could imagine it was, it was terrible for her, but she never gave up on me. She never gave up on me. She never threw me away. She always just, you know, I love you. I wish you would not do these things. You know, what can I do to help you not do these things? I know she carries a lot of guilt. You know, there's a lot of guilt that she carries for, you know, some of the things that happened when I was a child, you know, she carries, she carries that heavy in her heart. And I couldn't imagine being my mom. Like she's super proud of me now. Like she's very thankful that, you know, I've gone the path that I, that I've gone and I'm able to tell my story and to try to help as many people as I humanly possibly can to know that they're not alone, to know that there is a way out to help them learn, to love themselves, to show that there is another option, even after 20 years of, of thinking there wasn't. What led to the change? What was there one moment or was there a series of moments that led you to decide actually enough is enough and then what did you actually do to get off the drugs well there was a series of of divine intervention for sure um i was i was over it there were I had been clean for a while, like I had been drinking, you know, once I found out I was pregnant, I had stopped doing drugs, but then that gave me an excuse to drink. Like, okay, well, at least I'm not smoking meth anymore. Like I can drink a half gallon of Kentucky Deluxe, no big deal because I'm not smoking meth. So from the time my son was born till about two years ago, I will know about six years ago, I relapsed. Like I had a very traumatic experience and I was super in victim mode. Like I went straight, straight victim. Like I'd never been that depressed, that angry with God, that just so miserable spiritually, physically, mentally. Um, and then I relapsed and I hit a pipe one time for the next five years and my house instantly turned into a trap house. Like I used to have like a homeless shelter for punk rock kids. Like there was always people at my house and it just got to the point where the people that were at my house were, I would find needles in my, in behind my, um, washroom. There were, I had to have cameras on my cameras. I went from not having a door on my bedroom at all to my door continuously being locked. I would fall asleep in my car because it was the only place that I felt safe. Um, I was starving, like I had no money and the money that I did have always went to things that it shouldn't have been. And the people that I had around me were just perpetuating that situation. And I finally took a look at my life. You know, I realized that I had a hole in my drum. There were no plants alive anymore, that my house was just completely wasn't mine. I didn't feel safe in my own home anymore. And I had to start implementing, you know, no, like something's got to change is something's got to change. So I, the first thing that I had to do was evict my best friend out of my backyard. Um, I had my best friend had lived in my backyard for about six years in this camper trailer. And that was one of my very first steps of like, you have to love yourself, you know, and a lot of times, like, we don't understand that learning to love ourselves means saying no to people that you love. You know, it means saying no, that no, you can't come live with me. You know, you can't stay here. Like, I can't let you, I can't let this happen because I love myself because I was constantly a people pleaser. Hey, Crystal, do you want to go do this? Yeah, sure. I'm your girl. Hey, Crystal, do you want to go do that? Yeah, sure. I'm your girl. Like, I was constantly the yes person. So, learning to say no, 
and learning to stand up for myself and to really listen to what my, my inner soul was telling me. My inner child was like screaming at me, like, no, please don't do this. Please don't let them live here. You know, they're hurting us. And I I was ignoring her. So it took, it, it took a lot of really like small steps at first of learning how to say, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, Hey, Crystal, do you want to go and, you know, run this pound of meth over to here, you know, for nothing? And I'd be like, no, like, I can't, I have too much to lose. I have my son to lose. I have myself to lose. I have, there was too much to lose, you know? And it it really took a long time for me to learn how to stick up for myself without it being a question. Like I was saying in the beginning, you know, they'd be like, hey, Crystal, it was like my favorite word. Everything was no. I felt like a toddler once I learned how to say it. Hey, Crystal, do you want a nope? Hey, do you want a nope? You know. Excellent. That is the power of saying no and uh, to to actually find your inner voice. Um, And of course, the pendulum swings the other way. Um, of course. So now, yes, you say in your new favorite word, you say no until your lips bleed. <laughs> but sometimes you have to do that. And sometimes you have to to be to be cruel to others, quotation marks. Um, whilst in reality, you're protecting yourself. And you're doing the first time that because you, you it is a it is a big trap. Um, you surround yourself with those people that do exactly the same thing as you do. So therefore, you feel, ah, look, everyone is doing it, so I'm nothing is wrong with me. And that is, that is again and again and again the same thing. It doesn't matter if it is alcohol, if it is drugs, if it is uh, promiscuity, sex addiction, etc. You you have your, your, your own tribe. Um, and then when you suddenly um, stand back and actually say, look, guys, I actually don't want to drink. A world breaks down for them. Um, how were you able to say no when there was for sure some antagonism from so-called friends? It was really difficult. Like they try to shame you. They try to guilt you. They try to, you know, I mean, half the reason why we're people pleasers in the first place is because we, we are afraid that if we say no, that we, to something we really don't want to do, that someone's going to leave us or abandon us or, um, you know, treat us poorly. So I had to really look at my accountability to myself. You know, I had to I had to take a very, very honest look at what I truly wanted and what I truly didn't want and who I truly wanted to be in my life and who I truly did not want to be in my life. You know, I was very much a people pleaser, you know, and that was part of my my grooming as a child was to be a people pleaser to just, you know, I was constantly looking for that the reassurance that that little tidbit of love. That's why we end up falling in love like or we you know, like we, some guy will call us at two o'clock in the morning to come and do their laundry. And we're like, yeah, sure. I'll be right there. You know? And then we go and do this. And then we expect this person to love us more and to love us more because we're giving, we're giving, we're giving, we're giving, we're giving. And then they don't. And then we're not, we're we're so confused on why they don't love us. And it's because we don't love ourselves because any self-respecting woman is not going to go do someone's laundry at two o'clock in the morning, just because some guy calls them, you know? So I had to really take accountability for not only how I was a people pleaser, but how I was also an enabler. You know, they say that you can tell if you're enabling an addict or not enabling an addict by if they're happy with you or not. You know, and once I started taking control of my life, there were a lot of people that were very upset with me because I was no longer enabling them to, you know, have a free place to stay, to have free drugs that they could do whatever, to to manipulate. Like it it took a lot of very, very honest self-reflection and accountability to really, really delve into what it was that my soul really wanted and who was actually really there for me and who really wasn't. And once it became aware that these people were, they didn't love me, you know, and they didn't love me because I didn't love me, then I really focused on doing everything that I could to learn what that meant. Wow. To give my inner, to give my inner child the voice that she never had, you know, when I thought about my inner child running up to me and was like, Hey, all bright eyed. And what did we do with our life? You know, it broke 
my heart having to tell her just this and this horrible, you know, just some sort of war story after war story after war story with no positive ending. I was like, no, I have to change that. I have to change that not only for me, I have to change that for my son. I have to change that for my mom, my mom's mom, for anybody that out there that couldn't, that never had the opportunity to do it. And that's why I, I do what I do. That's why I tell the story that I tell. That's why I'm so vulnerable and open and honest about anything that anybody wants to talk with me about. Because once you own everything that you have ever done, anything that you have ever been, all of the deceitful stuff, like, yeah, okay, I did that. There's nothing that anybody can say to you that takes that power away from you. They can't, they can't diminish my shine by something that I've done because I've, I own it. You know, there's nothing that I have hidden in my closets because I own it. There's nothing that anybody can use against me because I own it. And once you own everything that you have ever done and you have no secrets, you have no, there's, there's this, that's like true wealth. It's something that I will go to my grave with that nobody can ever take from me. It's beautiful. True wealth. Oh, that is so encompassing. And it's so bizarre for maybe people who have not been in a situation like you. Um, and it doesn't matter what has led to those situations and what has led to the decisions that we that we make, which we are not proud of for later. You still have to own it. You don't have to live yeah. in the past. You don't have to be that victim on the contrary if you are if you stay in that victim role it is so easy to continue to use to continue to behave in a certain way um but when you start owning things and when you start actually taking care of things that will suddenly change the perspective you're no longer a victim you have turned into a survivor and then down the line there are people like surviving you soldier of the most high <laughs> There are people like you now who have gone even one step further because they they are not just survivors, they are thrivers. Um, because you are you are growing. You're growing with every interview you do. You took took you 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 took all this energy and actually wrote a book about your story. Now that takes guts that takes determination, that takes so many beautiful, beautiful, uh, uh, how do you call them, traits within you, um, because these are all traits that you don't have or that don't shine when you are in your active addiction. And there is, uh, you're, you're basically just floating on a, on a sea of shit um, when, you're, when you're in active addiction. And here you are actually reflecting on what had happened to you dealing with that writing it down giving it words wow was that was that painful was it helpful how was that writing process for you to actually put it all in words there were parts of it that were um kind of painful you know to to figure out how to write them to um express exactly what was going on, you know, in a way that was still um, democratic, per se, you know, to where it wasn't just, you know, bashing on someone or um, yeah. like it, it, it took a lot of, of thought process, but it was very liberating. You know, I, I wrote my book and I published it for my 41st birthday and I dedicated it to my inner child. Beautiful. You know, and I told her that I hear you, I see you, I love you, you know, and um, it's for, I do it for anyone out there that never had the chance, you know, all the people out there that have died with that, with some story, you know, without ever telling um, them, but without ever speaking to anyone about what happened to them as a child, without, uh, for all the people that, that died of overdose, that never had a chance to tell their story of redemption, of, of triumph. You know, I had to learn how to transmute that energy. Like, I really believe that I am, you know, a starseed. Once I learned about the whole starseed mission and about being a volunteer on the planet to help uplift, uplift the consciousness of humanity, it was like all of it just clicked into place. You know, I owned a tattoo shop at one point and it was called Sin Eaters. And a Sin Eater uh, back in the day was 
the the rich people in town would pay a degenerate in beer and bread to eat the sins of a deceased person so that they could get into heaven. And once I learned about a star seed, it, I was like, wow, that's pretty much what we are in, in a living, like breathing human body is we're here to eat the sins of the planet to transmute it into, into light energy. Oh. And I very much associate myself with being a star seed with a light worker. And once I gave myself that title, that, that, that mission, it made it all worth it, you know, to, to be here, to help transmute that energy, to help others learn how to transmute that energy. Oh. It's like it, even if, even if there's no such thing as a star seed, the fact that I believe it and that I know that I'm here for a purpose on purpose with purpose, like it, it changed my whole, my whole mentality from victim to soldier. You know, like I, I became no longer a victim. How beautiful is that? And it does not matter what construct we we put around our uh, new mission. Some people, they believe in Jesus Christ. Um, other people believe in Allah. Other people believe in nothing. But we all know that there is something bigger out there than us. And I think it's that that conviction that actually we are part of a movement we have got we make sense out of our trauma and we we change it to actually drive us to do something good and that's the beautiful thing however you well, call no matter it, what like if you believe it if you believe that you're a victim or you believe that you're a soldier you're <laughs> it's right whatever correct. it is that you believe correct you know? correct and i rather choose to, to have the active role of now actually going out there Damn, I get goosebumps um, just thinking of it because that's how powerful these emotions are. You are you're really sort of thinking, okay, no, fuck that. The past it was the past. The past does not equal the future. On the contrary, the past is often completely opposite to where I want to go now. And that's beautiful. I, I believe that we live in the past, the present, and the future all at the same time. Like we are living in the present moment of our of our past thoughts while we're creating our future in the now. And that's why the now is the most important exactly. is because if you think about what you were thinking about last year, and then you think of where you're sitting now, you're probably living in the in the the thoughts that you had last year in the present moment. So in the now, you're creating your future. Yeah. So in a year from now, what you're thinking at this moment is going to be where you're at in your future. And that's where the law of attraction really came in for me. Um, learning the power of my mind, learning, you know, once I, I, I found um, recovered on purpose, recovered on purpose, recovered on purpose, like it changed my life. Like the universe came in and put this recovered on purpose in front of me, just as I was learning about the law of attraction. And just as I was learning about this whole starseed mission, um, then Adam Vibegotten came into my inbox and I learned about recovered on purpose. And from that point on, I was like, man, I, I want to say that and mean it. You know, I just wanted to say it and mean it. And I was learning about the, the, the power of manifestation. And I was like, okay, well, what if I just keep telling myself I am recovered on purpose? And even as I was smoking, you know, in active addiction, I would, I would tell other people, People, I would tell myself, I am recovered on purpose. I am recovered on purpose. And the more I told myself that I am recovered on purpose, you know, I told myself, I don't smoke cigarettes when I was smoking cigarettes. I don't smoke cigarettes as I'm smoking. And it felt really weird to, you know, to try to trick your brain into thinking that, oh yeah, you don't smoke cigarettes. I don't smoke cigarettes. You know, I, the, 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 conversations that you have in your mind daily like the universe doesn't have any other choice but to say that is correct here is some more of whatever it is that you believe you know I, I believe Dr. Dr. Joe Dispenza and like I've listened to a lot of Abraham Hicks um, and they talk about how everybody wants to to create a different personality a different reality by being the same personality and it doesn't work like that you know you have to actually change your inside person you know, if you're constantly like, oh, all I am is a victim, all I am is a victim, all I am is a victim, then the universe says that is correct. Here's some more, all I am is a victim. If you say, oh, I've got to save some money, I've got to save some money, I don't have enough money, the universe says, that is correct. Here's some more, I got to save some more money. You don't have enough money. But if you say, 
I am successful, I am successful, I am successful, the universe has no choice but to say, here you go, here's some more, I am successful. And it, if you don't like what the here's some more of, of whatever it is that you're thinking, then change the way that you're thinking. Ch like we have the power, only, only we have that power. Nobody else can do it for us. But we have the power to change our own internal dialect until we start seeing the results of it. And once you start seeing the results of it, then it becomes easier and easier. It's just like a muscle memory. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, I didn't all of a sudden wake up and like, no longer did I do drugs anymore. It was, it was a slow, gradual process, but then it, it eventually happened. I no longer do drugs anymore. That's just like being, you know, completely obese and eating a salad and thinking that you're going to wake up skinny. You can't just eat one salad and do 10 sit-ups one day and be, wake up and be like, okay, why am I not skinny? You know, like we, we expect these immediate, immediate results with immediate gratification. And that's kind of what drugs do for us is it gives us this immediate, you know, um, immediate escape, immediate gratification, okay. but it takes, it, it does take some work, but with the work comes a reward. You know, it's just like practice, like muscle memory, your brain is a giant muscle. So training it to think something different doesn't just happen overnight. I mean, we are only human, you know? So, I mean, I still have, I have bad days, but I always tell myself, you can't have a bad day with a good attitude. And if you really, really start like becoming aware of the fact that you are in control of your emotions, you know, like we, we always say, oh, this person made me angry. No, you're allowing yourself to be angry because of an outside situation that's happening to you. You are in control of how you feel. No matter, no matter what situation is going on, you have a choice to feel however you want to feel, to react however you want to react. And becoming aware, like self-aware of, of that ability to, so what, I get a flat tire on the side of the road, you know? We always say, oh yeah, life works out for me. Like it's always working in my favor except for when things go seemingly wrong. And then all of a sudden God hates us. And, you know, then, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, everybody's out to get me. The universe is against me, you know, but why can't we say, okay, everything works out in my, in my favor, even when it's seemingly something that we don't understand, you know, like I got fired from a job one time and I kept the last thing, <clears throat> excuse me, the last thing I said on the phone with this person, it was a, um, supposedly a scammer, you know, I just got my first paycheck job in like 16 years and I was super excited to have it. And, um, this, this guy called and it was like a phone scam person, you know? And I was like, man, um, if this, if you really are a phone scammer, like I'm going to lose my job, you know? And the last thing I said to him was everything always works out for me, even if it, even if I don't think it is, you know, like it, and my boss walked in to fire me. Right. And, um, that place no longer even exists anymore. You know, the universe, the universe always, always sees what we don't, you know, like it always, it sees the bigger picture. It sees, it sees the whole city, the whole town, the whole world, the whole universe. Like we only see this itty bitty teeny parts of our reality, but God, universe, Allah, like, I don't care what you want to call it. I love them all. I love them all. Like, all I know is I know nothing. So for me to say that, no, this is the one, this is correct, is just seems so like absurd to me. So I just love them all, you know? Like, I love whatever source is. I don't care if you call it Jesus, Buddha, Allah, Krishna, um, whatever God is for you, for your perception. Like, I love them all. And we have a tendency to think that, oh, when these bad things happen, like, oh, God's an idiot, you know? Like, the universe is not an idiot. You know, it's not an idiot. It sees things. It hears conversations. If if somebody always, if the universe is trying to kick a towel over in your life and you keep fighting it and fighting it and fighting it, like it, it's so much harder to deal with when the universe has to come and crash that tower down than if you just listen to what the universe is saying and then do it yourself, you know? Which is hard and it takes practice. So I think that is that is the, the key to understanding that you can't just uh, say oh i'm such a positive person i want to now be positive and for a whole day and therefore everything will be beautiful it, it doesn't work like that that's for no, sure no because life is still life for sure correct you know things still happen mm. people you have no control over anybody else outside of you but you have control over you 
you know? And it's surprising how much our body remembers. Like there was one time that I sat with a whole mouthful of pills, like wanting to die, like literally on a suicide attempt, you know, and I'm stuffing all these pills in my mouth and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, what, why are you doing this? Like I looked around and was like, there's nothing wrong in my life at all. There was nothing wrong. I had my my son's good. I wasn't doing drugs. I was totally, you know, clean. Like I, I'd gotten rid of all the bad people in my life and I'm still sitting there with this mouthful of pills. And then I remembered it was an anniversary of something that traumatic that had happened to me and my body, my body, my whole aura remembered that traumatic experience, even though I wasn't living it in that moment. I like, I had to, I had to physically tell myself there is nothing wrong with you because my whole inner being remembered it like our ego is only a, a a record of the past you know and and it only helps us to try to keep us safe from things that we you know might have experienced before like it has no no pre-future determination of, of things that we've never been through before it only is a record of the things that we've experienced so i had to retrain like I chose Valentine's Day as my sobriety date because I had always had really bad things happen to me on Valentine's Day. And and because I believed that and because I said it, then I always continuously just repeated that cycle. So I chose Valentine's Day as my sobriety date to give my body a new memory, my muscle, my brain, a new a new memory. You know, like, no, this is a good day. You will have good experiences from this day. Like I had to take control over all of the past trauma that had happened to me and reprogram myself, you know? So now I, now it's all like, it's self-love. That's all for me. You know, and anytime that I, I catch myself in some sort of extreme depression out of nowhere, then I sit there and I think, okay, what happened in my life that my body is remembering, you know? And I have to tell myself, no, you're, you're okay. There's nothing bad going on in your life right now. Just because it happened in the past doesn't mean that it's happening in the present. I mean, because I, I heard this this seminar one time where this Buddhist monk was talking, and this is kind of what they do with social media and TV and our our um, everything. In one minute, I can ask you a question: what What was the last wedding you went to? You know, and then you start thinking about the wedding. Was the dresses was the was the bride's dress pretty? How was the food? You know, your body goes back into this memory like how is the chair that you're sitting on is it comfortable is it is it hard do you do you wish that it could recline or does it rock you know what i mean you can take someone and physically in their mind put them in different situations just from their couch all within a 3 3 minute period by what they're saying and that's how that's how um like your your body reacts to these things. You know, you, you when you think about something that bad happened to you, your body automatically feels the same way that it, that it felt when it was going on. Your body doesn't know that it's not happening. So you still have that same fight or flight reflex from as it was happening. You know, and that's how anxiety works. That's how depression works. You know, we we work ourselves up into this this mental um like mentally reminding ourselves and then our body reacts to it even though there's absolutely nothing going on outside of us like we have to consciously reprogram ourselves like no there's nothing wrong i am in my house right now you know that i'm not in that experience you have to like reprogram your body and the more that you tell yourself that you are safe the more the universe has no other choice but to say you are safe you know the more you tell yourself that you are sober the universe has no other choice but to deliver to you re- the proof that you are. Beautiful. Um, and for there might be people out there who are really thinking, oh, what a mumbo jumbo, uh, what a crap that is. Um, I, I would have been probably quite skeptical myself um, in the past, having said that when you start working on your sobriety, when you start working on dealing with the past in such a way that you move away from the victimhood, you will come to very similar conclusions. You choose a set of words to describe that, that gel with some people and not with others. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I think 
what uh, what underlies all of our attempts is that we are actually coming up with something or we are finding something that helps us to make sense out of our suffering and finally make sense out of it and come to terms with it, then we can move on. We can think of the positive. We can learn from the darkness. And I think, I mean, if, if you look at extreme examples, Viktor Frankl, um, as, a, as a concentration camp survivor, um, wrote the most profound words afterwards. Um, and there are many other people who have gone through absolutely hell and back, including most of the 380 or so guests I've had on this on this program. It is, it is crazy to think what has happened to people over time, and yet we are coming out the other end, and we want to make this world a better place. That's, Crystal, why you have written your book. That's why I am here and doing this show. We want to make this world a better place, and we have the power to do it, because we have figured out ways how to deal with the not-so-nice things in our lives. You're not always successful. There will be times when I've got a pity party and I just want to lie there and just cry. Um, and that's okay. Um, that's okay for half a day or a day. That's okay. Uh, and then let's move on because there is a life to live. And uh, yeah, but it takes practice and it takes it takes you guys to take action. And may I just say, all of you out there who are listening here or watching, you have already taken action. Okay, you might not know it, but you've actually chosen to listen to this podcast or watch this YouTube video. Congratulations. So you took action there. You've listened so far, nearly an hour into the game. And you are, yeah, you're still with it. I, and well, more importantly, Crystal, Crystal has placed seeds uh, into your mind that are now just waiting to actually gener uh, germinate and, and, and start becoming these beautiful beings in their own right it's gorgeous so guys there is a there is a, a life waiting out there for you and whatever the past was the past does not equal the future crystal is proving it i'm proving it um there's so many people out there so if you actually surround yourself with people who have been in your shoes and now living a very different life compared with surrounding yourself with the people that maybe are there at the moment, maybe are not so beneficial, not so helpful, maybe holding you back. Just think, might that be the next action step you want to take? And you don't need to be brutal and completely get rid of them unless they are really toxic. Um, but you can just choose to do, to just take little baby steps. Okay. And little baby steps, but in the right direction. Um, learn to say no. I think this was the key thing for you, Crystal. Um, and there are so many little things that you so beautifully said during this interview. So guys, this is, it is possible. Crystal is the living proof. So what holds you back? Crystal, if people gel with you and, and want to learn more about you, where can they find you? Um, you can find me on Facebook. That is my real name, Crystal Lavender. You can get a free download of my book on crystal-lavender.com. You can find me on uh, YouTube, which is Nacho Mama. You can find me on TikTok. You, you can find me all over the place, but I am also a recovery, a recovery coach and a recovery speaker through Recovered on Purpose. You can find me on recoveredonpurpose.com, which is also on Facebook. Hmm. Um, you could probably find me in every single soul that you look at, you know, um, I love it. you can find me in yourself. <laughs> That's true. You can find me, find me in your neighbor. Which is beautiful. Uh, but, uh, maybe, maybe you get a little bit lost in, in the eyes of your neighbor. So maybe rather look down there into the description of the YouTube video and of the podcast, because in the show notes, you've got all of her links. So what have you got to lose? Why not check her out? Why not check out her beautiful book? Um, and whilst you're there, maybe read the book and maybe give her some feedback. Um, because it's I, all I wrote my book all on my phone too. Oh, wow. All on my <laughs> there phone. you go. There you go. So for those of you that think that you can't write a book because you don't have, you don't have this or you don't have that, 
we literally have all of the tools and the resources in our pocket all the time. And I did it all completely from my phone. So you can too. And I always look at life like a puzzle. Like we, we, we always have these ugly pieces that we want to just disclose, like we want to discard, you know, but if we discard that ugly piece, then we will have this missing piece of the whole puzzle. Like, have you ever seen a whole puzzle that's just missing this one piece? (laughs) It might look ugly and distorted all by itself, but when you put the whole picture together, it makes a beautiful picture. So don't throw parts of your story out or don't throw, don't throw pieces of you out because you Mm -hmm. think that they're ugly because they are all part of that beautiful puzzle. That is you. Wow. Wow. Okay. Now that's a cool, cool closing statement. Uh, I've never thought about that. Uh, I love it. I love it. I love it. And yes, there are many ugly puzzle pieces in me. But it's yeah, just dis- disfigured. They don't look like they fit anywhere. You yeah. know, they're like they're funky looking. But <laughs> without those puzzle pieces, you would not have the beautiful picture that is you. Beautiful. Crystal, thank you so much for being on my show. You made me think. You made me reflect. And that is a really good thing. Uh, you changed me. You made me grow. And this is beautiful. For that, I'm saying from the deepest inner bit of my heart, thank you so much for being part mm-hmm. of my movement, my movement of, of of proving to other people that the past does not equal the future. Well, I, I appreciate everything that you do. Like I, I've listened to your, to your podcasts. Like I've, oh, I, I appreciate what you are doing, not only for yourself, but for everyone else out there. I mean, everybody's story is powerful because just just like words, like you say the word taco and my taco is completely different than your taco. And no matter how many ways you describe it, your taco will always be your taco and mine will always be mine. And all we can do is relate with each other. We'll never really understand. But if there are more people out there that are telling their stories than that one person that can relate to the words that this one person is saying, you know, they might be able to express it in only a way that they can to plant those seeds, to, to, to water that garden, you know, so I appreciate very much what you are doing for the world with your stories and with your podcasts and getting people on there, because you never know who's listening. It, it might just be the one person that can explain it in a way that someone needs to hear it. So exactly. I really appreciate you having me on here. Ah, oh, brilliant. And you guys out there, look after yourself and live with passion. Bye. I never give up, I never give up, I never give up, turn around.